John chapter number 5, book of John, John chapter 5, names of Jesus. We sing that song in our hymnal, the name of Jesus is so sweet. That, that had expanded meaning for us, hasn't it? Since last August we began to look at these names and titles of Jesus Christ. And this morning we want to begin to consider Jesus as the Son He is the Son of God. That'll take us quite a while. He's the Son of Man. He is the Son of the Most High, the Son of the Father, the Son of the Blessed, the Son of the Highest, the Son of David, the Son of Mary, the Son of Joseph, and the Beloved Son. That term, Son of God, is tossed about and has many different meanings to many different people. And different religions apply different interpretations or different theological ideas to the designation Son of God, but let's find out what it actually meant when Jesus said it, as understood by the people who heard him speak. John five seventeen. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. When Jesus said, I am the Son of God, he was claiming full and absolute equality with the Father. When the Jews who heard him speak on their streets in their language heard him say, I am the Son of God, they understood that he was claiming full and absolute status as Almighty God. So the title in your Bible, Son of God, couldn't possibly mean that Jesus is a lower God or a lesser God. The Jehovah's Witnesses say He was a a lower or lesser God. The Mormons say He was a lower or lesser God. The NIV and New American Standard Version in John chapter 1 say that he was a lower or a lesser God. But every time your Bible calls Jesus Christ the Son of God, the Bible defines that term as meaning that he is the one true God, fully equal in every possible way with the Father. You know, the world talks about when we believe in the Father. Here's what they say. We believe in the Father, and they point way up high. And the Son, way down low, and the Holy Ghost over here off to the side. But the Bible says the Father and the Word and the Holy Ghost, these three are one absolute perfect equality. Look in Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians the second chapter, not a verse that says Son of God, but a verse that explains the doctrine. Philippians chapter number 2. And verse number 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. He was fully equal with God then step down in humility to be made in the likeness of men. He's not a man who became God. 
He's not a lesser God who walked among men. He is Almighty God in His fullness who humbled himself and, and reduced himself in, in, to, to take upon himself the form of a man, the form of humanity. You say, reduced, how can that be? Well, he was limited to be in one place at one time. He's in a body that needs sleep and needs food and so forth. That's not his point of origin. He is God, the originator. We've already seen him as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the creator of all things. By him was all things made. Without him was not anything made that was made. I come to John chapter number 1. John chapter number 1. John chapter 1. What does the Bible say about this one who called himself the Son of God? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things evolved after Him. No, 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 no. All things were made by Him. What about some of the... And without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ, the Word, Jesus Christ is God. He predates... Everything that was ever made. He made it. Verse number 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. All life originates with Jesus Christ. It doesn't originate with dust or gas clouds or amoebas or any of the rest of that. It begins with Jesus Christ. He is the origin of life. All life comes from Him. A culture and a society that abandons Him will lose its respect for and its and its valued appreciation for life. You you don't have you don't have any aspect in society of of death, legalized, legislated, socially acceptable death until you first rid the conscience of Jesus Christ. He is life. He's the originator of life. If you want to live forever, Jesus Christ. If you want life more abundant here, Jesus Christ. He's the source of all life. Now, verse 14. And the Word, that Word is in the beginning, that Word created all things. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness of all we received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man, you got your Bible open? No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son. You know what the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible says there? The only begotten God. A lower God, a lesser God, a second God. That's not who Jesus is. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So what is what is God the Son is the manifest declaration to the eyes and the ears and the hearts of men of the invisible God. 
No man has seen God at any time, but God, the Word, was made flesh and dwelt among us. Not a second God, not a new God, not a man who someday will be God, but very God Himself from eternity past took upon Himself the form of a man that we could see and behold God. Love is a concept in the Old Testament. It is a person in the New Testament. Grace is a concept in the Old Testament. It is a person in the New Testament. Truth is a concept in the Old Testament. It is a person in the New Testament. Look, there's the law. That's everything God commanded. And God gave those commands in love. But who perceived that? And then Jesus came. And the very God who commanded men to observe the Sabbath is healing men on the Sabbath and cleansing men on the Sabbath and restoring families on the Sabbath. And the religious people are pulling their hair out because they saw the law. But they never saw the love. And Jesus came and He showed them the love within the law. And some beheld its manifestation and believed on Him and followed Him. And some rejected its manifestation and sought to kill Him and crucify Him. But He declared from the start to the finish that He was and is the Son of God. Now, let's turn our Bibles to 1 John. We've been in the Gospel of John. Let's go to the epistle. 1 John, chapter number 3. 1 John, chapter number 3. 1 John 3 and verse number 8. 1 John 3 verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. Well, that's pleasant words for a Sunday morning. Have you ever, this is the argument. See, we talked on say people who say, have you ever committed sin? Their mind instantly transforms your words into something you didn't say. When you say, have you ever committed sin, their heart hears what, what, what their, it goes in their ears, but when it gets to their heart, it's, have you ever committed a really, really bad sin that you don't think somebody should commit? Which is not what was asked. Have you ever committed sin? Well, what do you mean by that? See, you know or you wouldn't be looking for, for a little side door to, to get out of. Everyone has sinned. Let's just go ahead and agree with God. All have sinned. Well, I've never done what that guy did. God didn't ask you about that guy. You ever sinned? You know you have. I have. You have. The Bible says, he that committeth sin is of the devil. So that's who every sinner belongs to. Every sinner belongs to the devil. Now, what are you going to do about that? Verse goes on to say, For the devil sinneth from the beginning. That's how he got his start. Well, I don't believe that. Okay, how'd you get your start? Did you care about mom or did you care about yourself? Do you want to take all the toys in the nursery or do you want to share them? Was the first word you learned yes or was the first word you learned no? From the beginning, come on now, man, man born a woman a few days, that full of trouble. We go astray from the womb. That's what the Bible says. And so, he that commits sins of the devil, the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. 
Do you know why God was manifest in the flesh? To show love? Yes. To show truth? Yes. But how did He show that love and truth? By coming into this world to do something about our sin. Come on. We've all sinned. All sin is of the devil. The devil sinned from the beginning. We've been sinning from the beginning for this purpose. Son of God was manifested. He did not come into the world to set up a kingdom. He did not come into the world to better society. He did not come into the world to say some things you could put on a wall plaque. He came into the world to do something about sin. I'm glad of that. The Bible says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. Now, well, the works of the devil, I don't know what those are. Those are the, uh, the principalities and powers and the, and the wars and all. That, not in the verse. In the verse, the works of the devil are sins. So while you're worried about what Obama did, you ought to be worried about what you did. While you're worried about what, the, you know, I just wrote my check this week and mailed it in. U.S. Treasury. You know, if you had to write your own check instead of... Instead of just taking it out of your paycheck, you'd notice it. So I sit down and write that check and I put a note in there. I said, glad to contribute to Michelle's next vacation. <laughs> Hope she'll send me a postcard. <laughs> Bet she won't. Of course, my few grand won't even get her to the airport. But anyway, there it went. Now listen. We're all worried about these big sins by these big organizations and these big powerful... And that, yes, the devil's involved in that, but you know what else he's involved in? Every time you cheat. Every time you twist and bend the truth. Every time you don't do your duty. Every time I fail to be what God wants me to be. It's sin. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, you know why it had to be him? Who else is going to do it? That poor Jehovah's Witness, after he's changed his Bible and made it only begotten God and, and, and reduced Jesus' level of just a man, if he's just a man, all men have sinned. And if Jesus is a sinner like you, who's going to pay for your sins? The Son of God, the sinless, holy, righteous Son of God had to be manifested. There's no other way to take care of the works of the devil. Nobody can take care of sin who's a sinner, but one came who'd never sinned to take care of that. Now, did he do the job? Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter number 1. Let's take a look. Romans chapter 1. The Son of God. That name is used of Jesus 46 times in the Bible. Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. I had a good time this week. I wish I'd thought of this sooner. There's a fellow in town, and he's, he, he's, he's downtown most Friday afternoons, and he always assures me that he doesn't drink just before he asked me for some money. And so, so this I'm, I'm going to do this from now on. Take out a, I'm looking for a, take out a $10 bill. Here it is right here. I say, sir, 
I want you to, if you can, I'm going to ask you two things. If you can do both, I'm going to give you this $10. Give me the names of 12 brands of beer or 12 brands of some form of booze. That's the first one. Because you say you're not a drinker. Can you do that? For 10 bucks? can you do it? And the guy who, who's never had a drink, believe it or not, is able to come up with the names of 12 brands of alcohol. Maybe you've just seen a lot of advertising. And I said, good, you're halfway home. Now, since you told me you're a God-fearing man and you don't drink, now give me the names of Jesus' 12 apostles and it's yours. I bet I'll have that ten bucks till I die. It's this is designated beggar money right here. Now, Paul is called to be an apostle. That's we'll we'll let you substitute that one for Judas. So you only got eleven left to go. That might be saved. People can't get that ten bucks. But be careful. Sorry I brought that up during church. Now you'd be trying to answer that question. Okay. Which he had promised for by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made... Now, look, there's his son, which made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. What would prove he's the Son of God By the resurrection from the dead. By the resurrection from the dead. Now, follow me. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Correct? The wages of sin is death. Correct? By one man sin into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Romans 3.23, 6.23, 5.12. Everybody who sinned is going to die. Death is going to lay hold upon them and not turn them loose. Now, we have witnessed throughout history resurrections of the dead. God, by His power, has forced death to relinquish its hold upon the body of Moses. God, by His power, has forced death to release its hold upon the Shunammite's son and the widow of Nain's son and Jairus' daughter, but only temporarily. Once God's purposes were accomplished, death reached its hand out and laid hold upon them once again and drugged them back into the grave. We have oftentimes throughout Scripture seen the power of God intervene and we have watched a resurrection of the dead. But one man died voluntarily. One man had power to lay down his life and then had power to take it up again. This man experienced, this man manifest resurrection, look at your verse, from the dead. This man said to death, you got 72 hours and I'm leaving. A day later he said, you got 48 hours and I'm out of here. And as the sun rose and the sun set, he said, 24 hours and I'm gone. I came here to spend three days and three nights, and then I'm checking out. 
and death, who was quite capable of holding on to David and Abraham and Moses and and Elijah and Isaiah and John the Baptist, thought, I've never lost a man yet and I'll not lose this one. And after three days and three nights in the realm of death, the Lord Jesus Christ said, since I am without sin, Since I am holy and undefiled, since I am the Lamb without blemish and without spot, I will be leaving in ten minutes. And when that ten minutes ran its course, at the end of three days and three nights in the grave, the Lord Jesus Christ walked out by His own power, no Elijah to call Him forth, no Elisha to touch His bones, no Michael the archangel to come get Him, no crowd to roll the stone away, no pronouncement of the Messiah's voice, He walked out by His own power. You know why? He's the Son of God. What's the proof? Death can't hold Him. He's Almighty God. Triumphant over death. Now what's what's going to happen to you if you've sinned? Death's going to get you. Wage of sin is death. Who's going to help you out? Well, it won't be anybody that doesn't have the power over death. It'll have to be this man, this man only. This man who is the Son of God. He defeated Satan, the sin problem, because he's the Son of God. He proved it by his resurrection that he's the Son of God. Come to Hebrews chapter number 4. Book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 4. Hebrews chapter 4. The Bible says, mm-mm-mm. I'm sorry, chapter 1, I said 4, but it's 1. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. Anybody see that? Whom he hath appointed, heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. That's the same thing you had in John 1. He predates it all, he made it all. Though he's the Son. Who being the brightness, being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. You see that? He is the very visible manifestation of God's glory. He is the very express image of God's person. And look, not only did He make all things, but He's the one who holds them together. By the word of His power, they are held together. That's what the Bible says. So I don't believe that. Well, you watch what happens when He says, dissolve. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, elements melt with fervent heat, and, and all things that you can see, everything visible, everything invisible, going to be dissolved as soon as the Lord speaks it by His word. Then he recreated new heavens, new earth. That's what the Bible says. You ought to read it. By the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So, 
How do, we, how do we know Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Not only did He rise from the dead, died for sin, rose from the dead, but ascended, ascended to heaven. Now listen, Elijah went to heaven in a chariot, whirlwind of fire. God, God sent that chariot down, whirlwind of fire, took Elijah up to heaven. What a blessing. God came down, walked with Enoch, and translated him, took him up to heaven. The Lord himself one day descend from heaven with a shout, and the saints of God be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. He's going to come get us, take us to be with him. Isn't that a blessing? Who came to get Jesus? Nobody. What chariot picked him up? No chariot. Who escorted him into the presence of God? No escort. He returned to the place where he was when he created all things. He returned to the place where he was when he left to move into that womb of Mary and, and come into this world as a babe in Bethlehem. He's not going somewhere he's never been before. I am. Not him. He's returning to the place where he belongs. Place of honor and glory at the right hand of the Father. He's the Son of God. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says, let's start at verse number 11. And he, this is Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of the Father, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So let's take a little side trip here. We've got plenty of time. And there's 46 references to Jesus as Son of God, and we're only on number five. He's going to do them all this morning. I don't know, I was here once and he went on for hours. Just leave you wondering. Anyway, for the perfecting of the saints. So you know what that means? The saints aren't perfect. Are you saved? If you're saved, you're a saint. You don't wait till after you die and then they make up some miracles that you perform and then a bunch of guys in red bathrobes vote on whether or not you're a saint. In the Bible, when you get saved, you're a saint. But the saints aren't perfect. So the saints need to be perfected. Isn't that right? So here's what the Lord... Look Now, let's read it again. So are there any saints that aren't perfect? They're all, they're all imperfect, right? They all need to be perfected. So the Bible says, And he gave some living rooms, and some themselves, and some... No, you know what the Lord said? I'm not going to attain spiritual perfection in isolation, listening only to myself. And he gave some fellowship, and he gave some hanging out with friends, and he gave some Bible study in the living room. That's not what it says. He put people in the church so that you could be perfected. And so the only way you're going to be in, be perfected is to get in the church where those people are, so God can use them in our lives to perfect us. That's what he said. Well, I just listen to the voice of God. Yeah, but whenever you do, He always agrees with you. 
I've never met anybody yet that just followed this inner leading, that the inner leading didn't lead them exactly where they wanted to go. You want to be perfected? You're going to have to be somewhere where the voices in your head get countered. You've got to be somewhere where the heart, well, I just believe in following my heart. You ever read what the Bible says about our heart? Let me let you in on it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says about the heart. Well, I just follow in my heart. Yeah, you and Walt Disney, how'd that end up? So, perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. See that? Well, there's a lot of work to be done for God in there. Well, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry. Well, I just got my little own thing I do out here out of my garage. and Well, that's good. It's your own thing. It's not God's. That's what it was. I just got my own ministry. It, that, it is. It's your own ministry. Because his ministry is in connection with the people he gifted and put in his church. We're talking about the Son of God, but you know, it's here. While we're here, we may as well enjoy it. For the edifying of the body of Christ. I wasn't saved to be edified. I was saved to edify. I wasn't saved so that I could just sit around and, and, and get from God. He put a church together, a body together. He put believers together because we are not self-edified. We are edified by others and others are edified by our exercise of our ministry. And that's why, that's why he put us together. And if you don't believe that, you watch the, the manifest lack of edification on the part of those who separate themselves from body of believers. They don't become more spiritual, more loving, more devoted to the work and service of Jesus Christ. They become, well, you know what they become. We don't need to talk about all that negative stuff this morning. Okay, verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ, that we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, here's the objective of the Son of God. He was manifested to take away our sins. He was proven to be the Son of God by the resurrection. As the Son of God, He ascended to heaven, and now what He wants to do, He wants to work through me to minister to you, and through you to minister to me, so we can become like the Son of God. Not a better person like the Son of God. Not a better citizen like the Son of God. Not a better neighbor like the Son of God. Correct? Now, you know what it says? Okay, so let's back up. See, we're letting, we're letting the Bible teach us. I want to be taught by the Bible. I want to learn what the Bible says. Okay, if the Son of God was manifest to take away sin, and I am being made through your edification, and you are being made through my edification like the Son of God, What would be the evidence 
of His working in our lives. Less sin. Come on now. The Son of God was manifested to take away sin. Is that correct? See, everybody likes it when I'm getting my sins washed away in the blood so I can go to heaven. (laughs) If He was manifested to take away our sin, and the purpose of spiritual edification is to make us like the Son of God, then what is going to happen the more you edify me and the more I edify you? Sin is going to lose its hold upon our lives. Sin is going to lose its appeal in our lives. Fair enough? Now, we want to study, and and that's what we're doing. We want to study all the names of Jesus in the Bible and learn all the aspects of Jesus that are in the Bible. And isn't it wonderful that Jesus was a friend of sinners? Thank the Lord. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus healed the sick and, and cast out devils and fed the hungry? Isn't that wonderful? So, and that's... He is Jesus, and there's a part of it right there. He did love me. He did befriend me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He does feed me and clothe me and and, and makes my life so wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. But He is also the Son of God. Without sin. He died without sin. He rose without sin. He ascended to heaven without sin. And He gave apostles and evangelists and prophets and pastors and teachers and put me in fellowship to make me like, not like Jesus, like the Son of God. To conform me to the image of His Son without sin. So let me ask you something, friend. Maybe you, maybe you got your toe in, you're testing the water. I don't know, I kind of like some things about that church. I don't like some things about that church. The preaching was good two weeks ago, but this morning, I'm not liking it. Listen, if that preacher is not dealing with your sin, he is not fulfilling the purpose for which God put him in your life. And if you are looking for a church that doesn't deal with your sin, you are looking for a church that is running contrary to the purpose of God for your life. I want all my heartaches to go away, but I don't want to learn to stop doing the things that cause the heartache. I want my troubles to be few, but I don't want to stop walking the paths that brought all this trouble about. I want God, oh God, why are all these birds? And then when he tries to show me, I criticize the Christian showing me for being judgmental and narrow-minded and not having any love. And listen, the Son of God wants to take sin out of my life. It hurts me. It hurts him. It hurts my family. It hurts my friends. And so I'm telling you, right? Look, there's a truth. The people who walk away from Christian fellowship, and the people who walk away from Bible preaching, within six months they have abandoned 
all concern about sin in their life. And instead of arguing with lost people about their need to get saved, they begin arguing with saved people about their need to be righteous. That's the absolute truth. Because I'm telling you, from the beginning, the devil's influence in my life was to provoke me to sin. And from the beginning, the Son of God is holy and without sin. And those who are in fellowship with the Son of God, are interested in allowing Him to give them victory over sin, and those that get out of fellowship with those who are in fellowship with the Son of God want to find themselves a Jesus who isn't concerned about their sin. I need to be in fellowship with the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that are helping to perfect me. The work of whose ministry is to free me more fully with each passing day from the hold the devil has upon me through sin and its influence and its wages. Well, I don't need to go to church all that often. Do you need to sin all that often? People, you know, you invite somebody to church and say, well, you know, I go once in a while, but I don't need to go all that much. How come when the world invites you to sin, you don't ever say, well, you know, I've sinned enough. I don't need to sin all that much. I want to be as devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ as I used to be to sin. It's not a matter of have to. It's a matter of want to. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, 20. I am crucified with Christ. Praise the Lord. You've been saved through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ? Nevertheless, I live. Well, crucifixion wasn't the end of his life. It wasn't the end of my life. It wasn't the end of your life. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Don't stop. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now we quote Galatians 2.20. You people quote it all the time. Well, nevertheless I live. Not I. Christ liveth in me. Well, that's, that's beautiful. To what end? Christ liveth in me so I can do what? Why does he live in you? I mean, Galatians 2.20, it's a beautiful verse, but you rip it out of the Bible, it doesn't mean much of anything. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. There he is. That's, that's God, fully equal to God, manifest in the flesh to take away sin. And gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. The law and the prophets were until John. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. 
So Christ came into the world to be what? Manifestation of God. The world never seen love. Here's Jesus. World never seen truth. Here's Jesus. World never seen righteousness. Here's Jesus. Now I say, Christ lives in me. Okay, where's the love? Christ lives in me. Where's the truth? Christ lives in me. Where's the righteousness? Look, if he came into the world to be the manifestation of love and truth and righteousness, and he came to live in me, isn't there some reasonable expectation there'd be a manifestation of love and of truth and of righteousness? So verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. There was a purpose in his death. So it was to save me so I wouldn't have to go to hell. That's not what Ephesians said. Having paid for my sins, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Why did he have to come and live inside me? Why is he living in you? Same reason. To manifest the love of God, to manifest the truth of God, to manifest the righteousness of God. And my question is, am I availing myself of sufficient fellowship to make that a reality? Am I availing myself of sufficient time with the Lord and His Word and His people to make that a reality? I do not frustrate the grace of God. If you've ever been a teacher, students who won't let you teach them are frustrating. If you've ever been a parent, parents, uh, children who won't let you instruct them are frustrating. Maybe you worked in some field or another and you, you hire experts. And those experts can be frustrating. They won't let you instruct them. The only way to get away away from that is to become a pastor. (laughs) Where everybody says, what should I do next? God, don't you you know God is frustrated? All of his wisdom. I don't take time to read it. All of his power and guidance and might, and I don't take time to seek it. All of his grace and his love and his blessings. And, and, and I just wonder, is it really going to go all the way to, to noon? How frustrating it must be to the Lord. I mean, it's not like the world's running great and people don't need him. It's not like the churches are filled with revival and people don't need Him. Our need is tremendous. Our willingness to avail ourselves of the Son of God seems so minimal. Some of you this morning are very discouraged. And you spend more and more time with the things that discourage you. How's that going to help? Some of you this morning are wavering as to whether or not to go on with the Lord. Or, 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 and you spend more and more time with people who aren't going on with the Lord. 
Some of you this morning are, are very, very fearful. And you spend more and more time reading and looking into things that make you afraid. You know who's, you know who's excited about Jesus this morning? People that aren't frustrated in the grace of God. You know who's encouraged today, despite all that's going on in this world in the churches? The people that are looking unto Jesus. He won't change the world till he gets back, but he sure would like to change you. He's not going to fix all this mess till the other side of the, of the second advent. But he can sure fix up the messes going on in your heart and in your mind and your spirit and your attitude. He's the Son of God. He's got power over the devil. He's got power over sin. He's got power over all this, this discouragement and despair and defeatist attitude. But we've got to get in with him. Not frustrate the grace of God. Come on, who are your teachers? Who taught you this week? Whose instruction did you pursue this week? Whose information did you absorb this week? Whose fellowship did you engage this week? Where did it leave you? God's frustrated this morning. He's got joy and Christians live without it. He's got peace and Christians live without it. He's got got, uh, all these blessings and Christians live without them. Son of God. It's proof he's deity. As the Son of God, he defeated Satan. As the Son of God, he rose from the dead. As the Son of God, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. As the Son of God, believers may know him and be made like him. As the Son of God, we may live by him. Not live in such a way as to frustrate the grace of God. I am to this day almost mathematically illiterate. I can add, subtract, multiply, divide. Fractions? Uh uh-uh. uh. When they put letters in the math, forget about it. And I had some really bad math teachers and I had some pretty good math teachers. But you know what my problem was? I really didn't have a desire to learn it. It didn't come as easy as other subjects, and so I pushed it away and pushed the teachers away, and as a result, I've, I've never accomplished anything in the area of mathematics. Mechanically. Oh. Cars making a noise. Wayne's got a nice big new pickup truck because I know nothing about cars. I just say fix it and tell me what it costs. And several hundred thousand dollars later, wait, no, it's not so. But but if I don't know anything about it, and you know why? Because when it was time to sign up for those classes in school, I didn't want those classes. You know why? Because it didn't come easy. And the whole purpose of school is getting through it. (laughs) Easy. (laughs) And then we get saved. 
Look at how big that book is. Am I going to read all that or am I just going to see what Drudge says about it? Am I going to read that whole book about end time prophecy or am I going to see what Huffington says about it? And you can take the easy way, but you're not going to learn anything. You can take an approach that doesn't require prayer and fasting and fellowship and devotion, but you get to the end of your Christian life and you won't know more anymore about Christianity than I know about algebra or small engine repair. Some of you would be embarrassed to have to call somebody to come to your house and fix a doorknob. That's me. Can, can you come by? I've, I've I got the screws out, but I don't know where they go to put them back in. My wife, she could fix it, but I won't let her because that would be even more humiliating to have you. <laughs> your wife fix it when you're standing there. So somebody comes out and you pay them to fix the doorknob and pay them for their gas and you feel, you know. You say, aren't you embarrassed about that? Uh, yeah, kind of, just... Never put the effort into it to get any better at it. And how is it that 40 years after getting saved, you still don't know what Haggai is about? Or that there is a Haggai? Well, I'll just call the preacher. Yeah, but you ought to feel about that like I feel about calling you to fix my doorknob. Surely after all these years, you learn how to turn off the television and read a book of the Bible and make some notes on it. Well, we've come a long way this morning from Son of God, but we haven't. But we haven't. He came into the world to manifest the love of God. There ought to be some, some of that in us. He came into the world to manifest the truth of God. There ought to be some of that in us. He came into the world to manifest the righteousness of God. There ought to be some of, some of that in us. Let's go back to that, that drunk who doesn't drink downtown there. He's a Christian, you know. That's what he tells me every time. You know why he knows more about alcohol than he does about the apostles? Because that's what he's given himself to. That's the crowd he hangs out with. That's where he devotes his energy. Now, what do I know about this morning? What do you know about this morning? Who's your crowd? Who's your company? Where's your energy? What are you interested in now compared to five years ago? How's your schedule being arranged now as compared to three years ago? More for Jesus, less for Jesus. More for church, less for church. More for Bible, less for Bible. Where are you going? Where are you headed? Son of God, 46 times, He's absolutely 100% equal with the Father. And we start out talking about that, it's, it's amens all over the building. When He died to take away our sin, praise God all over the building. But when we get to, and now that we're saved, He wants to make us like the Son of God. And now that we're born again, He wants us to be living like the Son of God, it just, the whole, it's like the air goes out of the room. So I want who He is when He's doing something for me 
long term, but I'm not sure I want who he is when he's doing something for me short term. And it's frustrating to God. See, our lives would be so much better if we just let him have his way. Most of what we end up praying about, problems we want God to take away, are problems we volunteered for by not praying in the first place.